0: The Pawpaw Village Players proudly present L.M. Montgomery's Anne of Green Gables, adapted by Renee Beck. For more information on how you can support the players financially or otherwise during this difficult time for theater, please visit ppvp.org. This production features the voice talents of Ray Martin, voicing the narrator. Michael Seaman, playing Matthew Cuthbert,
1: Lars J. Lufborough voicing the station master.
2: Ava Martin, voicing young Anne Shirley.
3: Linda Kravitz, voicing Marilla.
4: Hannah Snow, voicing Mrs. Lind. Abigail Beck Snow, voicing Mrs. Berry.
5: Bridget McCafferty, voicing Diana Berry.
6: Patrick McCafferty, voicing Mr. Phillips.
5: Keelan McCafferty, voicing Josie Pye.
6: Logan McCafferty, voicing Gilbert Blythe.
7: Eliana Ebner, voicing older Anne.
0: 1, Scene 1, Anne Arrives At the train station, Anne is seen sitting on her suitcase. Matthew arrives, but takes no notice of her, pacing a few times. Matthew begins looking around, as if trying to locate someone, completely ignoring Anne, until he finally approaches the station master.
8: Excuse me, sir? Will the 5.30 train be along soon?
1: The 5.30 has been in and gone half an hour ago. But a passenger was dropped off for you if you're Matthew Cuppert. I am. It's that little girl over there. I asked her to sit in the lady's waiting room, but she informed me gravely that she preferred to stay outside. (laughs) There's more scope for imagination, she said. (laughs) Well... "'She's a case, I'd say.'
8: "'But I'm not expecting a girl. It's a boy I've come for. "'Mrs. Alexander Spencer was to bring him over from Nova Scotia for me.'
1: "'Well, guess there's been some mistake. "'Mrs. Spencer came off the train with that girl and left her in my charge.' Said you and your sister were adopting her from the orphan asylum, and you'd be along for her. That's all I know about it. And I haven't got any more orphans concealed hereabouts.
8: I don't understand.
1: Talk to the girl. How dare say she'll explain. She's got a tongue on her, if that's for certain. Maybe they were out of boys of the brand you wanted. <laughs>
0: Matthew slumps dejectedly as he moves toward Anne, who had been watching and listening to his interaction with the station master. It is clear that Matthew is trying to figure out what to say to her. As he is unsuccessful, Anne approaches him and begins to speak.
2: I suppose you are Mr. Matthew Cuthbert at Green Gables. I'm very glad to see you. I was beginning to be afraid you weren't coming for me, and I was imagining all the things that might have happened to prevent you. I had made up my mind that if you didn't come for me tonight, I'd go down the track to that big wild cherry tree at the bend, and climb up into it and stay all night. I wouldn't be a bit afraid, and I was quite sure you'd come for me in the morning.
0: After a short pause, while Matthew assimilates this, he responds shyly.
8: I'm sorry I was late. Uh, come along, give me your bag.
2: I can carry it. I've got all my worldly goods in it, but it isn't heavy. if you don't carry it right, the handle comes off. It's extremely old. I'm very glad you've come. It seems so wonderful that I'm going to live with you and belong to you. I've never belonged to anybody. Not really. The asylum was the worst, even though I was in it for four months. Mrs. Spencer said it was wicked me to say that, but I didn't mean to be wicked. It's so easy to be wicked without knowing it, isn't it? There were good people in the asylum, but there's so little scope for the imagination.
0: She stops out of breath. During her discourse, they are traveling in Matthew's buggy and excitedly noticing the beauty of her surroundings on Prince Edward Island. Meanwhile, Mrs. Rachel Lind enters Marilla's kitchen as she prepares supper.
3: Good evening, Rachel. Won't you sit down? How are all your folks? We're all pretty well. I was afraid
4: you weren't, though, when I saw Matthew starting off today. I thought maybe he was going
3: to the doctor's. Oh, no, I'm quite well, although I had a bad headache yesterday. Matthew went to Bright River. We're getting a little boy from an orphan asylum in Nova Scotia, and he's coming on the train tonight. Are you in earnest, Marilla? Yes, of course.
4: (laughs) What on earth put such a notion into your head?
3: Well, we've been thinking about it for some time. All winter, in fact. Mrs. Spencer said she was going over to get a girl in the spring, and we thought we'd get a boy. Matthew is getting up in years, isn't so spry as he once was. His heart troubles him a good deal. You know how hard it is to get hired help. So we got word to the Spencers to bring us a young boy, 10 or 11, old enough to work, but young enough to be trained proper. We'll give him a good home and schooling.
4: Well, Marilla, I'll just tell you plain that I think you're doing a risky thing, that's what. You don't know what you're getting. You're bringing a strange child into your home, and you don't know a single thing about him, nor what his disposition is like, nor how he's likely to turn out. Why, only last week I read about a boy a couple took from an orphan asylum who set fire to the house at night, set it on purpose, and nearly burnt the couple in their beds. "'If you had asked my advice in the matter, which you didn't do, Marilla, "'I'd have said for mercy's sake not to think of such a thing, that's what.'
3: "'You may be right, Rachel. I've had some qualms myself. "'But Matthew was terrible set about it. "'And since he seldom is, I feel it's my duty to give in. "'And of course there's some risks. "'There's risks in pretty near everything, including raising your own children.' But he's from Nova Scotia, right close to the island. It's not like we're getting him from England or the States.
4: Well, I hope it turns out. Only don't say I didn't warn you if he burns green gables down or puts strychnine in the well. I heard of a case over in New Brunswick, only that was a girl orphan.
3: Well, we're not getting a girl. I'd never dream of taking a girl to bring up. I wonder at Mrs. Spencer for doing it.
0: Marilla and Rachel sit together for tea. Matthew and Anne continue on the road as Anne talks. Anne talks. Anne talks. Matthew is bemused, listening to Anne.
2: This island is the bloomiest place. I've always heard that Prince Edward Island was the prettiest place in the world, and I used to imagine I was living there, but I never really expected I would. It's delightful when your imaginations come true, isn't it? And isn't it splendid to think of how many things I can learn in this new place? It just makes me feel so glad to be alive. It's such an interesting world. It wouldn't be half so interesting if we knew all about everything, would it? There'd be no scope for the imagination then, would there? But am I talking too much? People are always telling me I do. Would you rather I didn't talk? If you say so, I'll stop. I can stop when I make up my mind to it, although it's difficult.
8: Oh, you can talk as much as you like. I don't mind.
2: Oh, I'm so glad. I know you and I are going to um, get along together fine. It's such a relief to talk when one wants to and not be told that children should be seen and not heard. I've had that said to me a million times if I have once, and people laugh at me because I use big words. But if you have big ideas, you have to use big words to express them, haven't you?
8: Well, now that seems reasonable.
2: Mrs. Spencer said that my tongue must be hung in the middle, but it isn't. It's firmly fastened at one end. Mrs. Spencer said your place was named Green Gable's. And that has trees. I love trees. is there a brook anywhere near? I forgot to ask that.
8: Well, now, yes. There's one right below the house.
2: Fancy. It's always been one of my dreams to live near a brook, though I never expected to. Dreams don't often come true, do they? But now I feel pretty nearly perfectly happy. I can't feel exactly perfectly happy because, well, what color would you call this?
8: It's red, ain't it?
2: Yes, it's red. Nobody could be perfectly happy who has red hair. I don't mind the freckles and such. I can imagine them away. But I know my hair is red, and so I'll never be divinely beautiful. Which would you rather be? Divinely beautiful, dazzlingly clever, or angelically good?
8: Well now, I... I I don't know exactly.
2: Neither do I. I can never decide. But it doesn't make much real difference anyway. I'll certainly never be angelically good. Whose house is that?
8: Belongs to the berries. Called... Orchard Slope. And just on the other side is Green Gables. Has
2: Mr. Barry any little girls? I mean, about my size?
8: He's got one, about 11. Her name is Diana.
2: What a perfectly lovely name!
8: Well, now, I dunno. There's something dreadfully heathenish about it, seems to me. I'd rather Jane or Mary, something sensible like that, but a schoolmaster was boarding there and they gave him the naming of her and he called her Diana.
2: I wish there had been a schoolmaster like that around when I was born then. Oh, is this it? Are we home? Oh, it seems if I must be in a dream. I must be black and blue from the elbow up. i pinched myself so many times today. I was afraid it was all a dream, so I pinched myself until I decided that I'd just go on dreaming as long as I could, so I stopped pinching. But it is real, and we're nearly home!
0: As they arrive at the farmhouse, Marilla comes out of the house and meets them, looking curiously, and not happily, at Anne, and in confusion at Matthew.
3: Matthew Cuthbert? Who's that? Where's the boy? There wasn't any
8: boy. There was only her.
3: No boy? But there must have been a boy. We sent word to Mrs. Spencer to bring a boy. Well, she didn't.
8: She brought her. I asked the stationmaster, and I had to bring her home. She couldn't be left there, no matter where the mistake
3: had come from. Well, this is pretty piece of business.
2: You don't want me? Because I'm not a boy. I might have expected it. Nobody ever did want me. I might have no- known it was all too beautiful to last. Nobody really did want me. Well, what shall I do? I'm going to burst into tears.
0: Anne begins to cry loudly and fiercely. Matthew and Marilla are unsure what to do. Finally, Marilla steps toward Anne.
3: Well, there's no need to cry so about it.
2: Yes, there is need. You would cry too if you were an orphan and had to come to a place you thought was going to be home and found that they didn't want you because you weren't a boy. Oh, this is the most tragical thing that could ever happen to me.
3: Well, don't cry any more. We're not going to turn you out of doors tonight. You'll have to stay here until we investigate this affair. What's your name? Will you
2: please call me Cordelia?
3: Call you Cordelia? Is that your name?
2: No, not exactly, but I would love to be called Cordelia.
3: It's such a perfectly elegant name. I don't know what on earth you mean. If Cordelia isn't your name, what is? Anne Shirley, but
2: oh, please do call me Cordelia. It can't matter much to you if I'm only going to be here for a little while,
3: and Anne is such an unromantic name. Unromantic fiddlesticks. Anne is a good, plain, sensible name. You've no need to be ashamed of it.
2: Oh, I'm not ashamed of it. I like Cordelia better. But if you call me Anne... Please call me Anne, spelled with an E.
3: What difference does it make how it's spelled?
2: It makes such a difference. It looks so much nicer. When you hear a name pronounced, can't you always see it in your mind, just as it was printed out? I can, and A-N-N looks dreadful, but A-N-N-E looks much more distinguished. If you only call me Anne, spelled with an E, I shall try to reconcile myself to not being called Cordelia.
3: Very well, then, Anne spelled with an E. You shall stay the night, and we will sort things out tomorrow.
2: Would you want me if I was beautiful and didn't have this red
3: hair? No, we want a boy to help Matthew on the farm. A girl would be of no use to us. Take off your hat. I'll take it and your bags to your room you use tonight. Sit at the table.
0: Matthew and Anne sit quietly until Marilla's return. They begin to eat, though it is obvious that Anne is just moving her food around and not eating. This upsets Marilla when she returns.
3: You're not eating anything.
2: (sighs) I can't. I'm in the depths of despair. Can you eat when you're in the depths of despair?
3: I've never been in the depths of despair, so I can't say.
2: Weren't you? Well, did you ever try to imagine you were in the depths of despair? No, I didn't. Then I don't think you can understand what it's like. It's very uncomfortable. A lump comes right right up in your throat and you can't swallow anything, not even a chocolate caramel, like the one I had two years ago. I hope you aren't offended because I can't eat. Everything is extremely nice, but I still cannot eat.
8: I guess she's tired. Best put her to bed, Marilla.
0: Marilla leads Anne to her room, notable for its lack of any amenities other than a chair, a table, and a bed. Matthew stays seated at the table.
3: Well, undress as quick as you can and go to bed. I'll come back in a few minutes for the candle. I don't trust you to put it out yourself. You'd like set the place on fire.
0: Anne turns her back to Marilla, who momentarily reaches out to comfort her, but quickly drops her hand back.
3: Well, good night, then.
2: How can you call it a good night when you know it must be the worst night I've ever had?
0: Anne quickly turns away again. Marilla hesitates, shakes her head, and returns to the kitchen. Anne crawls under the covers, pulling them over her head.
3: Well, this is a pretty kettle of fish. The Spencers twisted our message somehow. One of us will have to drive over and see Mrs. Spencer tomorrow, that's certain. This girl will have to be sent back to the asylum.
8: Yes, I suppose so. You suppose
3: so? Don't you know it?
8: Well, now, she's a real nice little thing, Marilla. It's kind of a pity to send her back when she's so set
3: on staying here. Matthew Cuthbert, you don't mean to say you think we ought to keep her.
8: Well, now, no, I suppose not. Not exactly. I suppose we can hardly be expected to keep her. I
3: should say not. What good would she be to us? We might be some good to her. Matthew Cuthbert, I believe that child has bewitched you. I can see as plain as plain that you want to keep her. Well, now, she's a real interesting little thing. You should
8: have heard her talk coming
3: from the station. Oh, she can talk fast enough. I saw that at once. It's nothing in her favor, either. I don't like children who have so much to say. I don't want an orphan girl, and if I did, she isn't the style I'd pick out. There's something I don't understand about her. No, she's got be dispatched straight away back to where she came from. I could hire a French boy to help me, and she'd be company for you. I'm not suffering for company, and I'm not going to keep her.
8: Well, now it's just as you say. Of course, Marilla. I'm going to bed.
0: Matthew exits to his bedroom. Marilla finishes clearing the table, and Anne can be heard crying softly. The night passes. In the morning light, Marilla and Anne are eating breakfast.
2: I'm pretty hungry this morning. The world doesn't seem such a Halloween wilderness as it did last night. Mornings are interesting, don't you think? You don't know what's going to happen through the day, and there's so much scope for the imagination. I'm glad it's not rainy today, because it's easier to be cheerful and bear up under affliction on a sunshiny day. It's all very well to read about sorrows and imagine yourself living through them heroically, but it's not so nice when you really come to have
3: them, is it? For pity's sake, hold your tongue. You talk entirely too much for a little girl.
0: Anne makes a point of keeping quiet even only slightly opening her mouth to eat. Marilla looks at her periodically and begins to show signs of discomfort at the quiet. She finally gives up
3: eating and stands. Can you wash dishes right? Pretty well. I'm
2: better at looking after children, though. I've had so much experience at that. It's such a pity you haven't any here for me to look after.
3: I don't feel as if I wanted any more children to look after than I've got at present. You're problem enough in all conscience. What's to be done with you I don't know. Matthew is most ridiculous man. I think
2: he's lovely. He's so very sympathetic. He didn't mind how much I talked. He seemed to like it. I felt that he was a kindred spirit as soon as I saw him.
3: You're both queer enough if that's what you mean by kindred spirits. You may wash and dry the dishes. I have things to attend to before I drive over to White Sands in the afternoon and see Mrs. Spencer. You'll come with me and we'll settle what's to be done with you. After you've finished the dishes, go in and make your bed. I never, in all my life, saw or heard anything equal to her. She is kind of interesting, as Matthew says. I'm already wondering what on earth she'll say next. She'll be casting a spell over me, too. She's cast it over Matthew. That look he gave me when he went out said everything hinted last night. I wish he was like other men and would talk things out. A body could talk back then and argue him into reason. But what's to be done with a man who just looks?
0: Marilla goes outside, looking for Matthew. He comes around from the back of the house with a shovel and a bucket.
3: I can have the mare and buggy this afternoon, Matthew.
0: Matthew nods and looks wistfully in the direction of the bedroom. Marilla intercepts the look and continues with grim determination.
3: I'm going to drive over to White Sands and settle this thing. I'll take Anne with me and Mrs. Spencer will probably make arrangements to send her back to Nova Scotia at once. I'll set your tea out for you and I'll be home in time to milk the cows.
0: Matthew does not respond. Marilla looks at him and re-enters the house. Matthew continues to stand there, looking at the house. After a short time, Marilla comes back with Anne, both dressed for travel and with her suitcase. They climb in the buggy. Little Jerry Butte from the creek was here this morning, and I hired him for the summer. At these words, Marilla pauses, her back to Matthew. Anne turns to Matthew, and they exchange a sad look. Anne gives him a small wave. They drive away. Matthew watching. He goes back to work until he hears the return of the buggy. Coming around the back of the house, he looks in surprise at the buggy.
2: Oh, Miss Cuthbert, did you really say that perhaps you would let me stay at Green Gables? Or did I only imagine that you did?
3: I think you'd better learn to control that imagination of yours, Anne. If you can't distinguish between what's real and what isn't, yes, you did hear me say that, and no more. It isn't decided yet, and perhaps we will let Mrs. Blewett take you after all. She certainly needs you much more than I do.
2: I'd rather go back to the asylum than go live with her. She looks exactly like a...
3: like a gimlet. A little girl like you should be ashamed of talking so about a lady and a stranger. Go inside, sit down quietly, and hold your tongue as a good girl should. I'll try to do and
2: be everything you want me to. If you'll only keep me.
0: Anne races into the house. Matthew comes up to Marilla, clearly surprised. Marilla talks quickly.
3: Did you know that child lost both her parents before her first year? And has spent many of the years since taking care of other people's children until she's the skin and bones you see now? After the last place, no one wanted her. Not even the orphanage. But they had to take her and she took care of more children, hardly any schooling, for all she seems to know. Then Mrs. Spencer wanted to give her to Mrs. Blewett.
8: I wouldn't give a dog I like to that Blewett woman.
3: I don't fancy her myself, but it's that or keeping her. And since you seem to want her, I suppose I'm willing. I've gotten kind of used to the idea. It seems a sort of duty— I've never brought up a child, especially a girl, and I dare say I'll make a mess of it. But I'll do my best. So far as I'm concerned, Matthew, she may stay.
0: A seldom seen smile lights up Matthew's face.
8: Well now, I reckoned you'd come to see it in that light, Marilla.
3: She's such an interesting little thing. I'd be more to the point if you could say she was a useful little thing but I'll make it my business to see she's trained to be that. And mind, Matthew, you're not to go interfering with my methods. Perhaps an old maid doesn't know much about bringing up a child, but I guess she knows more than an old bachelor. So you just leave me to manage her. When I fail, it'll be time enough to put your oar in.
8: There, there, Marilla. You can have your own way. Only be as good and kind to her as you can be without spoiling her. I kind of think she's one of the sort you can do anything with if you only get her to love you.
0: Matthew returns to his chores, while Marilla thinks out loud.
3: I won't tell her tonight that she can stay. She'd be so excited that she wouldn't sleep a wink. Marilla, Cuthbert, you're in for it. Did you ever suppose you'd see the day... You'd be adopting an orphan girl. It's surprising enough, but not as surprising as Matthew at the bottom of it, him that always seemed to have such a mortal dread of little girls. Anyhow, we've decided on the experiment, and goodness only knows what will come of it. Anne, where are you? It's time for bed.
0: Marilla finds Anne in the bedroom, taking clothes out of her suitcase folding them neatly, and setting them on the table.
3: There now, that is much better than last night. You must keep your room tidy if you are going to stay here. Now say your prayers and go to bed. I never say any prayers. What do you mean? Were you never taught to say your prayers? God always wants little girls to say their prayers. Don't you know who God is, Anne? God is a spirit,
2: infinite, eternal and
3: unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power,
2: holiness, justice, goodness, and truth.
3: So you do know something then. Thank goodness. You're not quite a heathen. But don't you know it's a a terrible, wicked thing not to say your prayers every night? I'm afraid you're a very bad little girl. You'd find it easier to be bad than good if you had
2: red hair. People who haven't red hair don't know what trouble is. Mrs. Thomas told me that God made my hair red on purpose, and I've never cared about him since. And anyhow, I've always been um, too tired at night to bother saying prayers. People who have to look after lots of children can't be expected to say their prayers. Now, do you honestly think they can?
3: You must say your prayers while you're under my roof.
2: Why, of course, if you want me to, I'd do anything to oblige you. But you'll have to um, tell me what to say for this once.
3: No, you're old enough to pray for yourself, Anne. Just thank God for your blessings and ask Him humbly for the things you want.
2: Well, I'll do my best. Gracious Heavenly Father, that's the way the ministers say it in church. So I suppose it's all right in a private prayer, isn't it? Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank Thee for the white way of delight and the lake of shining waters and Bonnie and the Snow Queen. I'm really extremely grateful grateful for them, and that's all the blessings I can think of just for now. just now to thank thee for. As for the things I want, they're so numerous that it would take me a great deal of time to name them all, so I will only mention the two most important. Please let me stay at Green Gables and please let me be good looking when I grow up. I remain yours respectfully and Shirley. There, did I do all right? I could have made it more flowery if I had had a little more time to think it over.
0: Marilla is completely astonished, opening her mouth a number of times, but unable to speak. Anne continues.
2: I should have said amen in place of yours respectfully, shouldn't I? The way the ministers do. I've forgotten it, but I felt a prayer should be finished off in some way, so I put it in the other. Do you suppose it will make any difference?
3: I I don't suppose it will. Go to sleep now like a good child.
2: Good night. I can say good night tonight with a clear conscience.
0: Marilla leaves Anne in her room and returns to the kitchen. Matthew is sitting at the table. She marches up to him and stands over him.
3: Matthew Cuthbert, it's about time somebody adopted that child and taught her something. She's next door to a perfect heathen. Will you believe that she never said a prayer in her life till tonight? I'll borrow some books from the minister and send her to Sunday school as soon as I can make suitable clothes for her. I foresee that I shall have my hands full Well, we can't get through this world without our share of trouble. I've had a pretty easy life of it so far, but my time has come and I suppose I'll just have to make the best of it.
0: With hands on hips, she is resigned to her fate. Matthew is beaming with joy. Scene two, Anne learns her fate and meets Mrs. Lynde. The next morning, Anne and Marilla are working in the kitchen. Anne is anxious and can no longer keep silent.
2: Oh, please, Miss Cuthbert, won't you tell me if you are going to send me away or not? I've tried to be patient all morning, but I cannot bear not knowing. It's a dreadful feeling. Please tell me.
0: You haven't
3: finished cleaning there. Please do so.
0: Anne attempts her chore, all the while looking at Marilla with pleading eyes. Finally, Marilla gives in.
3: Well, I suppose I might as well tell you. Matthew and I have decided to keep you. That is, if you will try to be a good little girl and show yourself grateful.
0: Anne immediately falls into a chair and begins crying.
3: Why child, whatever is the matter?
2: I'm crying. I can't think why. I'm glad as glad can be. Glad doesn't seem the right word at at all. It's something more than glad. I'm so happy. I'll try to be so good. It will be uphill work, I expect for I've been told often I was desperately wicked. However, I'll do my very best, but can you
3: tell me why I'm crying? I suppose it's because you're all excited and worked up. Try to calm yourself. I'm afraid you both cry and laugh far too easily. Yes, you can stay here and we will try to do right by you. You must go to school, but that can wait until September. What am I to call you? Can
2: I call you Aunt Marilla? Would it make me um it would make me feel as if I belonged to you?
3: No, I'm not your aunt, and I don't believe in calling people names that don't belong to them.
2: but we could imagine you were
3: I couldn't
2: do you never imagine things different from what they really are? No, oh, how much you miss.
3: I don't believe in imagining things different from what they really are. When the Lord puts us in certain circumstances, he doesn't mean for us to imagine them away. And that reminds me. Go into the sitting room, Anne, and bring me the card that's on the mantel. The Lord's Prayer is on it, and you'll devote your spare time this afternoon to learning it by heart. There's to be no more of such praying as I heard last night.
2: I suppose I was very awkward, but then I never had any practice. You couldn't really expect a person to pray very well the first time she tried, could you? I thought out a splendid prayer after I went to bed. It was nearly as long as a minister's and so poetical. But would you believe it? I couldn't remember one word when I woke up this morning, and I'm afraid I'll never be able to come uh, come to think out one as good. Somehow, uh, things are never so good when they're thought out a second time. Have you ever noticed that?
3: Here is something for you to notice, Anne when i tell you to do a thing i want you to obey me at once and not stand stock still and discourse about it just you go and do as i bid
0: Anne runs out of the room mrs lind enters
3: good afternoon rachel good
4: afternoon marilla i've been hearing some surprising things about you and matthew
3: I don't suppose you are any more surprised than I am myself. I'm getting over my surprise now. It was too bad there was such a mistake. Couldn't you have sent her back? I suppose we could, but we decided not to. Matthew took a fancy to her, and I must say I like her myself, although I admit she has her faults. The house seems a different place already. She's a real bright little thing.
4: It's a great responsibility you've taken on yourself. You don't know much about her or her real disposition, I suppose, and there's no guessing how a child like that will turn out. But I don't want to discourage
3: you, I'm sure, Marilla. I'm not feeling discouraged. When I make up my mind to do a thing, it stays made up.
0: At that moment, Anne runs into the room, not realizing there is company.
3: I like this prayer, Marilla. It's
2: beautiful. I've heard it before. I heard the superintendent of the Asylum Sunday School say it over once, but I didn't like it then. He had such a cracked voice, and he prayed it so mournfully. I really felt sure he thought praying was a disagreeable duty. (gasps) This isn't poetry, but it makes me feel just the same way poetry does. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That is just like a line of music. Oh, I'm so glad you thought of making me
3: learn this.
0: As Marilla is speaking, Anne looks over Mrs. Lynde, curiously.
3: It would do you well to hold your tongue and learn it now, come and meet Mrs. Lynde.
0: Marilla motions for Anne to come and stand in front of Mrs. Lynde. Instead, she stands next to Marilla. There's quiet as Mrs. Lynde inspects her.
4: Well, then, they didn't pick you for your looks. that's sure and certain. She's terribly skinny and homely. Marilla, come here, child, and let me have a look at you. Lawful heart did anyone ever see such freckles? And hair as red as carrots. Come here, child, I say.
0: Anne jumps at her, getting in Mrs. Lynn's face and stomping her foot.
4: I hate
2: you! I hate you! I hate you! I hate you! How dare you call me skinny and ugly! How dare you say I'm freckled and red-headed! You are a rude impolite, unfeeling woman! Anne! How would you like to have such things said about you? How would you like to be told that you are fat and clumsy and probably having a spark of imagination in you? I don't care if I do hurt your feelings by saying so. I hope I, um, I hurt them. You haven't hurt mine worse than they're ever hurt before, and I'll never forgive you for it. Never!
4: Never! Did anybody ever see such a temper?
3: Anne, go to your room and stay there until I come up.
0: Anne bursts into tears and runs to her room.
3: Well, I don't
4: envy you your job bringing that up, Marilla.
3: You shouldn't have twitted her about her looks, Rachel.
4: Marilla Cuthbert, you don't mean to say that you are excusing that terrible display of temper.
3: No, I'm not trying to excuse her. She's been very naughty, and I'll have to give her a talking to about it. But we must make allowances for her. She's never been taught what is right, and you were too hard on her, Rachel."
4: Well, I see that I'll have to be very careful what I say after this, Marilla, since the fine feelings of orphans, brought from goodness knows where, have to be considered before anything else. Oh, no, I'm I'm not vexed. Don't worry yourself. I'm too sorry for you to leave any room for anger in my mind. You'll have your own trouble with that child. But if you'll take my advice, which I suppose you won't do, although I've brought up ten children and buried two, you'll do that talking to you mention with a fair sized birch switch. I should think that would be the most effective language for that kind of a child. Her temper matches her hair, I guess. Well, good day, Marilla. I hope you'll come down and see me often, as usual, but you can't expect me to visit again in a hurry if I'm liable to be flown at and insulted in such a fashion. It's something new in my experience.
0: Mrs. Lynde leaves quickly, clearly angry. Marilla looks thoughtful, then joins Anne in her bedroom. Anne is lying face down on her bed.
3: Anne? Anne, sit up this minute and listen to what I have to say to you.
0: Anne slowly sits up, sniffling and wiping her face.
3: This is a nice way for you to behave. She hadn't any right to call me ugly and red-headed. You hadn't any right to fly into such a flurry and talk the way you did to her, Anne. I'm sure I don't know why you should lose your temper like that just because Mrs. Lynde said you were red-haired and homely. You say it to yourself often enough. Oh, there's such a difference between saying saying a thing yourself and
2: hearing other people say it. You may know a thing so is so, but you can't help hoping other people don't qu- quite think it is. I couldn't help it when she said those things. Something just rose right up um, right up in me and choked me. I had to fly out at her.
3: Well, you made a fine exhibition of yourself. Mrs. Lynde will have a nice story to tell about you everywhere, and she'll tell it too. It was a dreadful thing for you to lose your temper like that, Anne. Just imagine how you would
2: feel if somebody told you to your face that you were skinny and ugly.
0: Anne looks down. There is a pause as Marilla looks into the distance, remembering a similar slight from her childhood. She reaches out a hand to stroke Anne's head, but quickly pulls it back and straightens her back for the difficult task ahead. It does cause her to speak more gently to Anne than she first intended. Anne sees nothing of this.
3: I don't say that I think Mrs. Lynde was exactly right in saying what she did you, Anne. Rachel is too outspoken, but that is no excuse for such behavior on your part. She was a stranger and an elderly person and my visitor. All three very good reasons why you should have been respectful to her. You were rude and saucy. And you must go to her and tell her you are very sorry for your bad temper and ask her to forgive you.
2: I can never do that. You can punish me in any way you like, Marilla. You can shut me up in a dark, damp dungeon inhabited by snakes and toads and feed me only bread and water, and I shall not complain. But I cannot ask Mrs. Lynn to forgive
3: me. We're not in the habit of shutting people up in dark, damp dungeons, especially as they're rather scarce in Avonlea. But apologize to Mrs. Lynde you must, and shall. And you'll stay here in your room until you can tell me you're willing to do it.
2: I shall have to stay here forever then, because I can't tell Mrs. Lynde I'm sorry. And I, and I said those things to her. How can I? I'm not sorry. I'm sorry I vexed you, but I'm glad I told her ju- um, just what I did. I can't say I'm sorry when I'm not, can I? I can't even imagine I'm sorry.
3: Perhaps your imagination will be in better working order by in the morning. You'll have the night to think over your conduct and come to a better frame of mind. You said you would try to be a very good girl if we kept you at Green Gables, but I must say it hasn't seemed very much like it this evening.
0: Marilla goes to the kitchen to begin the noon dinner. Matthew enters, and Marilla tells him of the morning's event. When she finishes, Matthew laughs out loud. This brings a quick smile to Marilla, who quickly blocks it with her hand while Matthew speaks. It's a
8: good thing Rachel Lynde got a calling down. She's a meddlesome old gossip.
3: Matthew Cuthbert, I'm astonished at you. You know that Anne's behavior was dreadful, and yet you take her part. I suppose next thing you'll be saying she oughtn't be punished at all. Well,
8: now, no, not exactly. I reckon she ought to be punished a little. But don't be too hard on her, Marilla. Reco- "'Recollect she hasn't ever had anyone to teach her right. You're, "'You're going to give her something to eat, aren't
3: you?' "'When did you ever hear of me starving people into good behavior? "'She'll have her meals regular, and I'll carry them up to her myself. "'But she'll stay up there until she's willing to apologize to Mrs. Lynde, "'and that's final, Matthew!'
0: Marilla prepares a dinner tray and takes it to Anne's room. She repeats this for the evening supper and the next day's three meals, even though most of the trays come back with little food having been eaten. After supper on the second day, Matthew takes advantage of Marilla having to milk the cows and sneaks into Anne's room. Anne, how
8: are you making
0: it? Anne tries to smile at him.
8: Pretty well.
2: I imagine a good deal, and that helps to pass the time. Of course, it's rather lonesome, but then I may as well get used to that.
8: Well, no, Anne. Don't you think you'd better do it and have it over with? It'll have to be done sooner or later, you know, for Marilla's a dreadful, determined woman. Dreadful, determined, Anne. Do it right off, I say, and have it over.
2: Do you mean apologize to Mrs. Lynn?
8: Yes, apologize, that's the very word, just smooth it over so to speak, That. what I was trying to get at.
2: I suppose I could do it to oblige you, it would be true enough to say I'm, so- um, I'm sorry, because I am sorry now. I stayed mad all night, I know, because I woke up three times and I was ju- I'm just furious every time. But this morning it was all over and left a dreadful sort of goneness. But I couldn't go and tell Mrs. Lynde; It would be humiliating. I've made up my mind to stay here, but I'd do anything for you if you really want me to.
8: Well, now of course I do. It's terrible lonesome downstairs without you. Just go and smooth it over, like a good girl.
2: Very well. I'll, I'll tell Marilla as soon as she comes in that I've repented.
8: That's right, Anne, but don't tell Marilla I said anything about it. She might think I was putting my oar in, and I promise not to do that.
2: Wild horses don't drag the secret from me. How would wild horses drag a secret from a person anyhow?
0: Matthew quickly and quietly exits, with a last smile for Anne, while looking over his shoulder to make sure Marilla is not around. Anne calls for Marilla. Marilla? Marilla enters the bedroom.
3: Well?
2: I'm sorry I lost my temper and said, said rude things, and I'm willing to go tell Mrs. Lynde so.
0: Marilla's shoulders sag briefly with relief. Then she reassumes a stern countenance.
3: Very well. I'll take you down.
0: Anne and Marilla dress for a visit to Mrs. Lynde. As they walk to her house, Anne's demeanor is not that of a nervous, repentant girl and Marilla notices. However, after they are invited into Mrs. Lynde's house, Anne looks meek and downcast. As she begins to speak, she goes down on her knee. Her speech is sincere. Marilla catches a smile as Anne turns away from Mrs. Lynde. Anne is enjoying her own apology.
2: Oh, Mrs. Lynde, I am so extremely sorry. I can never express all my sorrow, not even if I used up the whole dictionary. You must just imagine it. I behaved terribly to you and I have disgraced dear friends, Matthew and Marilla, who have let me stay at Green Gables. I'm a dreadfully wicked and ungrateful girl, and I deserve to be punished and cast out by respectable people forever. It's very wicked of me to fly into a temper because you told me the truth. My hair is red, and I'm freckled and skinny and ugly. What I said to you was true, too, but I shouldn't have said it. Oh, Mrs. Lynde, please, please forgive me. If you refuse, it will be a lifelong sorrow to me. You wouldn't like to inflict a lifelong sorrow on a poor little orphan girl, would you? Even if she had a dreadful temper? Oh, I'm sure you wouldn't. Please say you forgive me, Mrs. Lynde.
4: There, there, get up, child. Of course I forgive you. I guess I was a little too hard on you anyway, but I'm such an outspoken person. You mustn't mind me, that's what. "'It can't be denied your hair is terrible red, but I knew a girl once—went to school with her, in fact—whose hair was as red as yours when she was young, but when she grew up it darkened to a real handsome auburn. I wouldn't be a mite surprised if yours did, too.'
0: Anne jumps up and clasps Mrs. Lynde's hands.
2: "'Oh, Mrs. Lynde, you have given me hope. I shall always feel that you are a
4: benefactor.' "'There, there, run along and pick some flowers. "'She's a real odd little thing, "'but there is something about her, after all. "'I don't feel so surprised at you and Matthew "'keeping her as I did, nor so sorry for you, either. "'She may turn out all right. "'On the whole, Marilla, I kind of like her.'"
0: As Marilla and Anne return home, Marilla is pondering Mrs. Lynde's words. Anne is smelling her flowers and skipping.
2: I apologized pretty well, didn't I? I thought since I had to do it, I might as well
3: do it thoroughly. You did it thoroughly, right enough. I just hope you won't have occasion to make many more such apologies. I hope you'll try to control your temper now, Anne.
2: That wouldn't be so hard if people wouldn't twit me about
3: my looks. You shouldn't think so much about your looks, Anne. I'm afraid you're a very vain little girl. How can I be vain when I know
2: I'm homely? I love pretty things and I hate to look in the glass and see something that isn't pretty. I pity any ugly thing I see because it isn't beautiful.
3: Handsome is as handsome does.
2: I've had that said to me before, but I have my doubts about it. Aren't these beautiful flowers and wasn't it nice of of Mrs. Lynn to let me pick them? Aren't the stars beautiful?
3: Anne, do hold your tongue.
2: It's lovely to be going home and know it's home. I love green gables already. And I've never loved any place before. No place ever seemed like home. Oh, Marilla, I'm so happy. I could pray right now and not find it a bit hard.
3: If you'll be a good girl, you'll always be happy, Anne. And you should never find it hard to say your prayers.
2: Saying one's prayers isn't exactly the same thing as praying. But I'm going to imagine that I'm the wind that is blowing up there in those treetops. Then I'll gently wave down in the ferns, and then I'll... And then I'll fly over to Mrs. Lynn's garden and set the flowers dancing. Then I'll ripple the water of the lake into little sparkling waves. Oh, there's so much scope for the imagination in the wind. So I'll not talk any more
3: just na- now, Marilla. Thanks be to goodness for that.
0: Scene three Anne and her bosom friend.
3: Anne, I think you'll finally meet Diana soon. I hear she's home. Oh, Marilla,
2: I'm frightened. What if she shouldn't like me? It would be the most tragical disappointment of
3: my life. Now don't get into a fluster. And I do wish you wouldn't use such long words. It sounds so funny in a little girl. I guess Diana will like you well enough. It's her mother you've got to reckon with. If she doesn't like you, it won't matter how much Diana does. And if she has heard about your outburst to Mrs. Lynde, I don't know what she'll think of you. You must be polite and well-behaved, and don't make any of your startling speeches. For pity's sake, if the child isn't actually trembling. Oh, Marilla, you'd be
2: excited too if you were going to meet a little girl you hope to be your um, bosom friend, and whose
3: mother mightn't like you.
0: Marilla and Anne leave walk, and meet Mrs. Berry and Diana.
3: And look who's coming our way. Good day, Mrs. Berry. Good day to you, Marilla. Diana and I thought we'd meet up with you soon.
4: And this is the little girl you have adopted, I suppose?
3: Yes, this is Anne Shirley.
4: Spelled with an E.
3: How are you?
2: I am well in body, although considerably rumpled up in spirit. Thank you, ma'am. There wasn't anything startling in that, was there, Marilla?
4: This is my little girl, Diana. Diana, you might go and play with Anne. It will be better for you than straining your eyes over that book she reads entirely too much, and I can't prevent her for her father aids in a bed, sir. She's always poring over a book. I'm glad she has the prospect of a playmate. Perhaps it will take her more out of doors.
0: Mrs. Barry links arms with Marilla as she's speaking and leads her away from the two girls, Anne and Diana, move farther away from Mrs. Barry and Marilla so they can talk privately.
2: Oh, Diana, do you think- oh, do you think you can like me a little
5: enough to be my bosom friend? (laughs) Huh? Why, I guess so. I'm awfully glad you've come to live at Green Gables. It will be jolly to have somebody to play with. There isn't any other girl who lives near enough to play with, and I've no sisters big enough. Will you swear to be my friend forever and ever? Why, it's dreadfully wicked to swear!
2: Oh, no. Not my kind of swearing. It just means vowing and promising solemnly. Well, I don't mind doing that. How do you do it? We must join hands, like so. It ought to be over running water. Well, just imagine this path is running water. I'll repeat the oath first. I solemnly swear to be faithful to my bosom friend, Diana Barry, as long as the sun and moon shall endure. Now you say
5: and put my name in it. I solemnly swear to be faithful to my bosom friend, Anne Shirley, with an E, as long as the sun and moon shall endure. (laughs) You're a queer girl, Anne. I heard before that you were queer, but I believe I'm going to like you real well.
0: The girls put their heads together, laughing and talking.
7: Come along then, Diana. It's time we were
4: home. Tell Anne, is it, that you'll see her soon, most likely in school.
0: Anne and Diana hug and say their goodbyes as Marilla and Anne walk
3: toward home. Well, did you find Diana a kindred spirit? Oh,
2: yes. Oh, Marilla, I'm the happiest girl on Prince Edward Island this very moment. I assure you I'll say my prayers with a right good will tonight. Diana and I are going to build a playhouse. Diana is going to lend me a perfectly splendid and tremendously exciting book to read. She's going to show me a place in the woods where the rice lilies grow. Diana is going to teach me a song and give me a beautiful picture to put up in my room. I wish I had something to give Diana. We have agreed to call the spring down by the log bridge the, the Dryad's Bubble. A dryad is sort
3: of a grown up fairy, I think. Well, all I hope is you won't talk Diana to death. But remember this in all your planning, Anne. You're not going to play all the time or most of it. You'll have your work to do and it'll have to be done first.
0: Marilla cannot dampen Anne's enthusiasm. They enter the kitchen and find Matthew waiting. He shyly presents Anne with a small box.
8: I just got home myself, from a trip to the store at Carmody. I hear you say you like chocolate sweeties, so I got you some. Huh.
3: It'll ruin her teeth and stomach. There, there, child. Don't look so dismal. You can eat those since Matthew has gone and got them. It'd be better if he brought you peppermints. They're wholesomer. Don't sicken yourself eating them all at once.
2: Oh, no, indeed. I won't. I'll just eat one tonight, Marilla, and I can give Diana half of them, can't I? The other half will taste twice as sweet to me if I give some to her. It's delightful to think I have something
3: to give give her.
0: Anne skips off, leaving Matthew and Marilla standing. Be used.
3: I will say the child isn't stingy. I'm glad for all of faults. I detest stinginess in a child. Dear me, it's only three weeks since she came, and it seems as if she'd been here always. I can't imagine the place without her. Now, don't be looking, I told you so, Matthew. It's bad enough in a woman, but it isn't to be endured in a man. I'm perfectly willing to own up that I'm glad I consented to keep the child and that I'm getting fond of her. But don't you rub it in, Matthew Cuthbert
0: Scene 4. Anne meets new friends and makes an enemy. Anne and Diana are walking to school together.
2: What is fun today? It's so good to be alive. I pity the people who aren't born yet for missing it. They may, may have good days, of course, but they can never have um, have this one. Splendid am um, still to go
5: to this school this way. It is nicer, instead of walking on the dusty road. I guess Gilbert Blythe will be in school today. He's been visiting his cousins over in New Brunswick all summer, and he only came home Saturday night. He's awfully handsome, Anne. he teases the girls something terrible. He just torments our lives out. Gilbert Blythe? Isn't it his, his name that's written on the porch wall with Julia Bells? Yes, but I'm sure he doesn't like her very much. I've heard him say he studied the multiplication table by her freckles. Oh, don't speak about
2: freckles to me. It isn't delicate when I've got so many. But I do think, think writing
5: names together on the porch wall is the silliest ever. Nonsense. It's only meant as a joke, and your name could get up there. Charlie Sloan is dead gone on you. He told his mother, his mother, mind you, that you were the smartest girl in the school. That's better than being good looking. No, it isn't.
2: I'd rather be pretty than clever. I can't bear Charlie Sloan, but it is nice
5: to keep head of your class. You will have Gilbert in your class now. You won't find it so easy to be the head after this.
2: I'm glad. I couldn't really feel proud of being being the head of little boys and girls.
0: Diana and Anne have arrived at the school, and other children are arriving. All take their seats,
6: Diana and Anne sitting together. We'll begin with some spelling. Fourth book spellers, the word is ebullition. Anne, Diana, Josie Pye, and Gilbert raise their hands. It is
0: obvious Anne wants to be the one called on. Josie is frantically looking in her book.
6: Josie Pye... You are head student. You may answer. Josie shoots Anne a look of triumph as she stands. Anne gives her a look described
0: in the book as freezing scorn. It clearly upsets Josie.
5: Abolition. E B U L I T I O N. Abolition.
6: No, that is incorrect. Sit down. If the head student is not able to spell this word. It is obvious that the class needs to study. Please study your spelling words while I help Miss Andrews with her Latin. Josie looks angrily at Anne, who is smug in her triumph.
5: That's Gilbert Blythe sitting right across the aisle from you, Anne. Just look at him and see if you don't think he's handsome.
0: Gilbert, seated behind Ruby Gillis, is pinning her braid to her seat. When she gets up, she lets out a shriek as she is pulled back to her chair. Gilbert removes the pen. Mr. Phillips glares at Ruby, who begins to cry, and Gilbert turns to Anne with a big wink.
2: I think Gilbert Blythe is handsome, but I think he's very bold. It isn't good manners to wink at a strange girl.
0: For a short period of time, the class continues working. Then Gilbert leans over to Anne and whispers,
3: Carrots,
2: carrots. You mean, hateful boy! How dare you!
0: Anne hits him over the head with her slate and breaks it. The class erupts.
6: Quiet, quiet. Anne Shirley, what does this mean? Anne does not answer. It was my fault, Mr. Phillips. I teased her. I am sorry to see a pupil of mine displaying such a temper and such a vindictive spirit. Anne, go and stand by my desk until lunch. Anne slowly stands and moves to his desk but does not cry
0: or hang her head. It is obvious she is still angry. Mr. Phillips makes a sign, holding it over Anne's head and reading it aloud. The sign has Anne's
6: name spelled without the E. Anne Shirley has a very bad temper. Anne Shirley must learn to control her temper. Silence, as student's work. After a brief time, you are dismissed for lunch. Do not be late upon your return. Anne rushes over to Diana with angry glares for Mr. Phillips and
0: Gilbert. Gilbert runs to catch up with Anne.
6: I'm awful sorry I made fun of your hair, Anne. Honest I am. Don't be mad for keeps now.
0: Anne glares at him, brushes past him, and hurries to Diana.
5: Oh, how
2: could you, Anne? I shall never forgive Gilbert Blythe, and Mr. Phillips spelled my name without an E. The iron has entered into my soul, Diana.
0: The students eat their lunch, then run and play outside. Anne moves, by herself, away from the girls. The boys are between her and the rest of the girls. When Mr. Phillips rings the bell for class to resume, the girls arrive on time. The boys are rushing, late, while Anne catches up with the boys and arrives with them, though they are late. Anne is out of breath with flowers scattered messily in her
6: hair. Anne Shirley, since you seem to be so fond of the boys' company, we shall indulge your taste for this afternoon. Take those flowers out of your hair and sit with Gilbert Blythe." Some of the children snicker.
0: Others look at Anne with pity. Diana removes the flowers from her hair.
6: Anne doesn't move. Did you hear what I said, Anne?
2: Yes, sir, but I didn't suppose you really meant it.
6: I assure you I did. Obey me at once. Anne pauses, then deliberately,
0: with head held high, marches over and sits next to Gilbert. She puts her head in her hands and stays that way. Gilbert makes a show of being absorbed in his work. After a time, Gilbert pulls a bright pink heart out of his book, lettered with, You Are Sweet, and puts it on Anne's lap. Anne picks up the heart by the tips of her fingers, stands drops it on the floor, grinds it under her shoe, and sits back down without ever looking at Gilbert. The lessons continue until Mr. Phillips dismisses the class for the day.
6: Class is dismissed.
0: Anne returns to her seat next to Diana, gathers her things, and walks away. Diana hurries after her.
2: Anne, wait! I- I'm going home. I'm not going back to school anymore. Will Marilla let you stay home? She'll have to. Um, I'll never go to school with that man again.
5: Oh, Anne, I do think you're mean. What shall I do? Mr. Phillips will make me sit with that horrid, gertie pie. I know he will because she's sitting alone. Do come back, Anne. I'd do almost anything in the world for you, Diana. I'd let myself be torn
2: limb from limb if it um, would do you any good. But I can't do this, so please
5: don't ask it.
0: Diana calls to her as Anne exits.
5: Just think of all the fun you will miss.
0: Soon the word has spread throughout the town that Anne will not go back to school. Marilla does not know how to handle this problem, so she visits Mrs. Lynde.
3: I don't know what to do with her. She declared she won't go back to school. I never saw a child so worked up. I knew things were going too smooth to last. She's so high-strung. What would you advise, Rachel? Rachel? "'Well, since
4: you've asked my advice, I'd humour her a little. "'It's my belief that Mr. Phillips was in the wrong. "'Of course, it doesn't do to say so to the children, "'and he did right to punish her for giving way to temper. "'But the tardiness was different. "'The others who were late should have been punished as well as Anne. "'And I don't believe in making girls sit with the boys for punishment. "'And the rest of the scholars were indignant on her behalf.' Anne seems real popular with them somehow. I never thought she'd take with them so well.
3: Then you really think I'd better let her stay home?
4: Yes. That is, I wouldn't say school to her again until she said it herself. She won't miss much as far as that goes. Mr. Phillips isn't any good at all as a teacher. He'd never have got the school for another year if his uncle hadn't been a trustee, leading the other two around by the nose.
0: Marilla follows Mrs. Lynn's advice and Anne stays home, helping each day with chores. Scene 5. Anne's Tragic Tea. Anne and Marilla are working in the kitchen.
3: I'm going to a meeting of the Aid Society at Carmody this afternoon, Anne, and I won't likely be home before dark. You'll have to get Matthew and Jerry their supper, so mind you don't forget to put the tea to draw until you sit down at the table as you did last time.
7: It was dreadful of me to forget. But Matthew was so good, he never scolded a bit. He put the tea on himself, and I told him a story while we waited. I had to make up the
3: ending, and Matthew said he couldn't tell what was new. Matthew would think it all right, Anne, if you took a notion to get up and have dinner in the middle of the night. But you keep your wits about you this time. And I don't really know if I'm doing right. It may make you more addle than ever. But you can ask Diana to come over and spend the afternoon with you and have tea here."
7: Oh, Marilla, how perfectly lovely. You are able to imagine things after all, or else you never understood how I've longed for that very thing. It will seem so nice and grown up No fear of my forgetting to put the tea to draw when I have company. Oh, Marilla, can I use the rosebud spray tea set?
3: No, indeed. You know I never use that except for the minister or the aides. You'll use the old brown set, but you can open the little yellow crock of cherry preserves. It's time it was being used anyhow. I believe it's beginning to go. And you can cut some fruitcake and have some of the cookies and the snaps.
7: I can just imagine myself sitting down at the head of the table and pouring out the tea, asking Diana if she takes sugar even though I know she doesn't, and then pressing her to take another piece of fruitcake and helping of preserves? Oh, Marilla, it's a wonderful sensation just to think of it. May we use the parlor?
3: No, the sitting room will do, but there's a half bottle of cherry cordial left over from the church social, and you girls may have that along with a cookie to eat in the afternoon. I'm sure tea will be late because Matthew is hauling potatoes to the boat today. Now run and tell Diana, and then I'll be off.
0: Anne runs out as Marilla shakes her head with a smile. Soon it is time for Marilla to leave. Diana arrives, and Anne and Diana sit primly at the table with glasses in their hands. Diana is sipping the red drink.
5: How is your mother? She is very well, thank you. I suppose Mr. Cuthbert is hauling potatoes to the boat this afternoon? Yes, our potato crop is very good this year. I hope your father's potato crop is good, too. It is fairly good, thank you. Have you picked many of your apples yet? Oh, ever so many. I just picked quite a few. Of course, I ate a lot, also. This is awfully nice raspberry cordial, Anne. I didn't know raspberry cordial was so nice. I'm real glad you like it. Take as much as you want. I'm still full
7: from all those apples I ate, and I need to stir the fire for our tea.
0: Anne tends to fire while Diana finishes her first glass. And a second one. By the time Anne returns, she is on her third glass. Her speech is becoming slurred.
5: This is the nicest cordial I ever drink. It's ever so much nicer than Mrs. Lynn's. Although she brags of hers so much, it doesn't taste a bit like hers.
7: I should think Marilla's raspberry cordial would probably be much nicer than Mrs. Lynn's. Marilla is a famous cook. She's trying to teach me to cook, but I assure you, Diana, it is uphill work. There is so little scope for imagination and cookery. You just have to go by the rules. Last time I made a cake, I forgot to put the flour in. I was thinking of the loveliest story about you and me, Diana. You had smallpox, and I was the only one to nurse you. You got better, but I died, and you planted flowers on my grave. Oh, it was such a pathetic tale, Diana. Tears rained down over my cheeks while I mixed the cake but I forgot the flour and the cake was a dismal failure. Marilla was very cross, and I don't wonder.
5: I'm a great trial to her.
0: Diana stands up, very unsteadily.
5: I'm, I'm awful sick. I, I must go right home. Oh, you mustn't go home without your tea. I must go home.
7: Let me get you some lunch. cake and cherry preserves. Lie down on the sofa for a little while and you'll get better. I must go home. I never heard of company going home without tea. Oh, Diana, you suppose that it's possible you're really taking the smallpox? If you are, I'll go and nurse you. You can depend on that. I'll never forsake you, but I do wish you'd stay till after tea. Where do you feel bad? I'm awful dizzy. All right, I'll walk you to your fences. Let me get your hat.
0: Anne retrieves Diana's hat. As Anne walks her home, Diana is weaving erratically and leaning heavily on Anne. Anne serves Matthew's tea without incident and the next few days pass without adventure. A few days after Anne and Diana's tea, Anne rushes into the kitchen where Marilla is working.
3: Whatever has gone wrong now, Anne? I do hope you haven't gone and been saucy to Miss Lynde again.
0: More loud sobbing.
3: Anne, surely, when I ask you a question, I want to be answered. Sit up this very minute and tell me what you are crying about.
7: Oh, oh, Mrs. Lynn was up to see Mrs. Barry today and Mrs. Barry was in an awful state. She says that I set Diana drunk Saturday and sent her home in a disgraceful condition. And she says I must be a thoroughly bad, wicked little girl. And she's never, never going to let Diana play with me again. Oh, Marilla, I'm just overcome with woe.
3: Set Diana drunk? Anne, are you or Mrs. Berry crazy? What on earth did you give her? Nothing but raspberry cordial.
7: I never thought raspberry cordial would set people drunk, Marilla. Not even if they drank three tumblers of it full as Diana did. I didn't mean to set her drunk.
3: Drunk fiddlesticks. Anne, you certainly have a genius for getting into trouble. You went and gave Diana currant wine instead of raspberry cordial? Although now I remember the cordial wasn't actually in the pantry. Didn't you know the difference yourself?
7: I never tasted it. I thought it was cordial. I meant to be so, so hospitable. Diana got awful sick and had to go home. Mrs. Berry told Mrs. Lynch she was simply dead drunk. She just laughed silly-like when her mother asked her what was the matter and went to sleep for hours. Her mother smelled her breath and knew she was drunk.
3: She'll never believe me what I did on purpose. I should think she would punish Diana for being so greedy as to drink three glassful of anything. Why, three of those big glasses would have made her sick even if it had only been cordial. Well, this story will be nice for those folks who are so down on me for making currant wine although I haven't made any for three years ever since I found out that Minister didn't approve. I just kept that bottle for sickness. There, there, child. Don't cry. I can't see as you are to blame, although I'm sorry it happened so. I must cry. My heart is broken. Diana and I are parted forever. Don't be foolish, Anne. Mrs. Barry will think better of it when she finds you're not... Really to blame. You'd best go and tell her how it was. My courage fails me at the thought of facing
7: Diana's injured mother. I wish you'd go. You're so much more dignified than I.
3: Likely she'd listen to you. You may be right. I'll go see her.
0: Marilla dons her coat, hat, and gloves to visit Mrs. Barry. Anne sits dejectedly at the table.
3: It was all a mistake. I assure you, Anne meant no harm. I don't believe that for a minute. Such a wicked child.
4: And you with your currant wine. You always said it couldn't have the least effect on anybody. Well, I can certainly tell you differently.
3: Current wine wasn't meant to be drunk three tumblers full at a time. And if I had a child who was that greedy, I'd sober her up with a right good spanking. Well, I never.
0: Mrs. Barry storms off. Marilla watches her go, angry herself, and storms back to Green Gables. She is met by Anne.
3: Such a disagreeable woman. She wouldn't even listen to me.
0: Anne runs over to the Barry's house. Mrs. Barry answers the door, but will not allow Anne to enter.
3: What do you want?
7: Oh, Miss Barry, please forgive me. I did not mean to to intoxicate Diana. How could I? Just imagine if you were a poor little orphan girl that kind people had adopted, and you just had one bosom friend in all the world. Do you think you would intoxicate her on purpose? I was firmly convinced it was raspberry cordial. Oh, please don't say that you won't let Diana play with me anymore. If you do, it will cover my life in a dark cloud of woe.
4: I don't think you're a fit little girl for Diana to associate with. You'd better go home and behave yourself.
7: Won't you let me see Diana? Just once to say farewell? Diana has gone over to Carmody with her father.
0: Mrs. Berry closes the door in Anne's face. Anne stands there forlorn, then slowly makes her way home to Marilla.
7: My last hope is gone. I went up and saw Mrs. Barry myself, and she treated me very insultingly. Marilla, I do not think she is a well-bred woman. There is nothing more to do except to pray, and I haven't much hope that that'll do much good, because, Marilla, I do not believe that God himself can do very much with such an obstinate person as Mrs. Barry.
3: Anne, you shouldn't say such things.
0: Anne leaves the room.
3: Poor little soul.
0: Upon Diana's return, Anne and Diana meet in the field between their houses.
5: Your mother hasn't relented? No, and- oh, Anne, she says I'm never to play with you again. I've cried and cried and told her it wasn't your fault, but it wasn't any use. I had to coax her to let me come and say goodbye. I only have ten minutes. She's timing me by the clock.
7: Ten minutes isn't very long to say an eternal farewell. Oh, Diana, will you
5: promise faithfully never to forget me, the friend of your youth? no matter what dearer friends may caress thee? Indeed I will, and I'll never have another bosom friend. I don't want to have. I couldn't love anybody as I love you. Oh, Diana, you love me? Why, of course I do. Didn't you know that? No, I thought you liked
7: me, but I never hoped you loved me. I didn't think anybody could love me. No, Nobody ever loved me since I can remember. Oh, this is wonderful! It's a ray of light which will forever shine on the darkness of the path severed from thee.
5: Diana, oh, just say it once again! I love you devotedly, Anne, and I always will. You may be sure of that.
0: They hug.
7: And I will always love thee, Diana. In the years to come, thy memory will shine like a star over my lonely life. Fare thee well, my beloved friend. Henceforth we must be strangers, though living side by side, but my heart will ever be faithful to thee.